Well, to continue worshiping our Lord this morning, we will look at his word together. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll continue our study in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then we'll jump forward in looking at verses 16 through 18, passing over what's known as the Lord's Prayer, because we will um, give time for that next week. So the context of what Jesus is, is teaching here all ties together, and he uses uh, particular uh, illustrations here um, for this lesson this morning. So I'm going to begin chapter 6 in the first verse, and you can follow along. The Word of God reads, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be seen in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your glorious eternal word. And Lord, help us to understand what was being conveyed on that particular day in the context of the day and to rightly apply this glorious eternal truth to our own lives that as a people of devotion in response to the glorious gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would not be man-pleasers or seeking to be man-pleasers, but that our desire would be to please you. Help us, Lord, this morning as there may be conviction where there's concern, Lord, to rearrange and reorient our thinking in light of the glorious truth of Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus is primarily preaching to his disciples, uh, true believers, and that includes you this morning. But all the while, he's contradicting the pharisaical teaching of the day. He's actually cutting against the religious leaders of the day and, and what they were teaching the people. Now, the Pharisees uh, preached that men could be saved if they met certain conditions, a certain orthodoxy, um, adhere to a uh, particular set of religious rites and so on. But Jesus preached that he would save those who could meet no conditions. That is, the poor in spirit. The, no, the people who, who know or have been brought to the place of understanding that they have nothing to offer God in and of themselves, that they are a completely at his disposal. They are in desperate need of God himself. So Jesus' message was, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. That is unconditional grace from an unconditional God. And 
a right understanding of unconditional grace that comes from an unconditional God produces thankful hearts of devotion. Thankful hearts of devotion. Now, beloved, when religious people, when incredibly religious people discover for the first time the utter simplicity of true devotion, it's hard to accept. Where God-centered worship is boiled down to words like poor in spirit, mourning over sin, um, heart, uh, purity, all those things that we see defined for us in uh, the first uh, 10, 11 verses of chapter 5, the Beatitudes. When very religious people see that devotion is not about what they do, but rather who they are inside, in the secret place, it's hard to accept. We are prone to want to be seen by men. We, we have this desire to seek the applause of men, and that is precisely what Jesus is confronting here. Now, there is for all of us, as you know, Um, the need for confidentiality. I mean, in some cases, um, even secrecy, if you're a counselor or if if a friend is confiding in you or divulging a problem or a difficulty to you, um, they expect a certain level of confidentiality, a a proper secrecy, if you will, will, that you're not going to go running off and, and sharing it with your family or your neighbors or your roommates. Here in the Lord's Gospel... For us this morning, there's a certain secrecy being taught by our Lord. A confidentiality, a certain level of confidentiality that ought to be in place in the Christian's life. And up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has contrasted the proper understanding of the law with the Pharisees' misinterpretation of the law. And by and large, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 48, we saw Christ contrast his teaching in six specific ways with that of the Pharisees. And as Jesus moves now from Matthew chapter 5 and into chapter 6, his focus turns from opposing the teaching of the Pharisees to opposing or addressing certain practices of the Pharisees. In Matthew 5, he had said that they had misunderstood the commanded will of God. In Matthew chapter 6, he points out the fact that they have a misunderstanding of a devoted life to God. So Jesus goes deep into the heart of his followers, does he not? Amen. Beloved, he, he cuts deep. That's what he does. Because we're his. We are a purchased possession. So he goes deep. So Jesus is not preaching a righteousness that is any less demanding. He he is not loosening up what the Old Testament taught by any stretch of the imagination, but rather he is even more rigorous and more thorough because it's all about what's on the inside. And what's on the inside, he actually produces in those that are his. So he teaches a righteousness that that defines God's people, chapter 5, verse 13, 14, as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth. And there's a command there in chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, here now in chapter 6, we're taught by the Lord that he's referring to a righteousness now that is kind of a secret righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. So a seemingly self-contradictory statement if it's not interpreted in its proper context and with balance. Because we, know, we all know that throughout redemptive history, professing believers have erred on both sides, if you will, right? You know, you, you have people who are either over-pretentious over or showy in their devotion to God. Um, I, I belonged to a church as a young kid before we went into a solid church that, man, I would refer to as the, the brass plaque church. 
Everywhere you go, there's a brass plaque with somebody's name who donated this or someone who did that or someone who donated this, that, and the other thing, the brass plaque church. On the other end, you have those who are so fearful of self-glorification that they become monastic and they segregate themselves from other people. They become monks and hermits and they're of no common good at all. So there must be balance here. You see, what Jesus is teaching here is a secret righteousness that results from the imputed righteousness of Christ as well as the imparted righteousness of Christ to be what we are for the glory of God. Not to win people's applause. That's what he's addressing. So he's describing this secret kind of righteousness. And the main point of our Lord in this passage would read something like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. Rather, practice your righteousness in order to be pleasing to God. Pleasing to the one who purchased you. The one who redeemed you. And then he follows it up with three illustrations. That of giving that of prayer, and that of fasting. Now, this in no way, beloved, contradicts chapter 5, verse 16, because there is nothing wrong with doing service or godly deeds before men, or even to be seen by them. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, after all, if people didn't serve, who would do anything around here anyway? I mean, someone has to be seen. But the point is, it's not for the sake of applause. Now, in chapter 5 and verse 16, the emphasis there in letting your light so shine, the emphasis is there is to overcome your fear. In other words, don't be afraid to let them see your good works. Especially in context of persecution. Right? The early church suffered persecution, false accusation, reviling. Jesus said, even though you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, let your light so shine that your deeds may be seen by other men and they give glory to who? To God. Not to you, not to me, but to God. Now, in chapter 6, the emphasis is different. The, 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 the difference is this. Rather than overcoming your fear, now it's overcoming pride. Overcoming pride. Jesus, beloved, in this context and in this day, was destroying centuries of presuppositions and confusion with regard to devotion. He's just cleaning things up. See, when you practice your righteousness before others, Jesus says, beware. That's the warning. Beware. This is a present imperative Meaning this for us today, meaning to look after and guard constantly, continually be on the lookout for our propensity to be seen and applauded by men. So the matter at hand this morning, beloved, is motivation. Motivation of the heart. Don't let, Jesus said, your motivation be for the sake of impressing other men and women. John Calvin comments on this. He said this, quote, The design here is to correct the disease of ambition. When in doing what is right, we seek glory from men. Now, is there anything wrong with ambition? No, nothing wrong with ambition at all. It's just, what is the purpose of my ambition? What's the deep-rooted motivation for my ambition? Jesus says, be ever aware Make sure you do what you do in a devotional sense. Make sure you worship as you do for no other reason than to please God. That's the point. Be certain that your reasons for some regulative principle of worship, some particular style or order of worship, is not to please your friends, but is to honor the one who saved you. Very important. Beware of trying to prove your spirituality to your friends. Beware of trying to show that you are a servant of the Most High for the sake of people cheering you on. Now, is there anything wrong with encouraging one another? Absolutely not. We should encourage one another. Again, there must be balance here. The Lord says you have your reward in full. If you do this to seek the praises of men, you have your reward. 
You see, beloved, Jesus knows all too well that we are capable of pulling off a flawless impersonation of worshiper. We all have this potential. The guy who's speaking to you this morning has this potential. Has fallen prey to this. We all do. He knows that we can provide an empty presentation or appear loyal and authentic. Especially, now throughout time, people who are overly zealous, like incredibly dogmatic over particulars, usually that is a sign of inside empty religion. And they gravitate towards the applause of man to be approved with, by their zealousness. It's a great danger. So the example now that the Lord employs here Three examples were very common in his day. So as comical as they may sound to us this morning, beloved, some of this is quite funny. As comical as it may seem, this is something that actually occurred in the day of Jesus. So our first point this morning is devotion and self-control. Devotion and self-control. Key illustrations for us this morning are verse 2, 5, and 16. Notice, if you will, Jesus said, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, God's people oftentimes err in this area. They fear the potential for showmanship or hypocrisy, so they say, you know what, I'll solve this problem by not doing anything. I won't serve at all. I won't pray out loud. I won't pray publicly. I won't give. I truly won't know what my uh, left hand is doing or my right hand is doing, so I won't extend it at all. I won't give. Very important that we understand that the abuse of certain activities does not make that particular activity wrong. Amen? Very important. But notice that Jesus assumes actually that this is what his disciples will do. He doesn't say if you give. He doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say if you fast. He said when you pray, when you give, when you fast. See, as children of Almighty God, recipients of the kingdom, he assumes that you will give. He assumes that we will be engaged in prayer. Now, there's no doubt that there's a a certain level of tension here and balance that the Holy Spirit enables us as his people to have as we yield to the Spirit, as we live out this Christian life. And boy, do we need his grace to do this, amen. And guess what? He always provides the grace to do it. Every command in Scripture, the grace is there to obey. Every temptation that we face, the grace is there to flee, to overcome it. So when we say as Christians, you know, well, yeah, by the grace of God. Well, of course, by the grace of God. We need the grace of God. We're in desperate need of the grace of God. We're saved by the grace of God. We stand in the grace of God, and we persevere in the grace of God because we're preserved by the grace of God. So everything he commands us to do and directs us to do is filled with, compassed by grace. We must engage with that which is provided for us. So we also see here, beloved, there's a certain level of examination and inspection that we are to involve ourselves with as children of God. After all, why does he tell us here not to practice this before other people? Well, quite simply because he knows we have this tendency. There's this temptation to to win people's applause or affection that we're pious, that we're, we worship correctly. And instead of pleasing God, we're looking for a slap on the back for the next guy who thinks he's cornered the market on the deal. Amen? Forget it. We are here to please God. So Jesus is still calling here in chapter 6 for what he did in chapter 5, and that, beloved, is deep righteousness. Because of all the righteousness that he has granted us in Christ, 
This is how my people will live. So he's not merely concerned with what we do, beloved, but with why we do it. Okay? So he provides us a couple illustrations. And here, the first one, he provides us a rather comical description. He pictures this pretentious Pharisee on his way to make a donation, right? And in front of him, or leading the way, is the band of trumpeters. So just before the Pharisee arrives, the trumpeters stand together. And you point to the man. And he can drop his giving into the trumpet bowl. Hypocrite. Jesus calls him a hypocrite. Comes from hypocritas or hypocrites. And in the Greek dramas, it was an actor who wore a mask in order to dramatize the role that was being played out. So there was absolutely nothing wrong with being a hypocrite if you're an actor because that's what you do. That's what you do. Marlon Brando used to say, uh, as I heard last night in an interview with Johnny Depp, that uh, an actor's life is just a lie. And some actors get offended by that. So Larry King asked Johnny Depp, is that true? And he goes, well, yeah, it's true. You know, I'm not a pirate. <laughs> actors are expected to act. Hupocrites, a hypocrite, that's what you do as an actor. You put on this mask, but it becomes a problem for those who wear this kind of mask in their day-to-day life within their family or among friends or within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is criticizing here two-faced spirituality. That was the kind of spirituality that the Pharisees walked around with. And Jesus is pointing his finger and digging it right into their chest to his disciples. Don't be like this. Your devotion is down here to please our Father in heaven. So it had become a theatrical religion. It's not genuine. It's not for the glorification of God. It's to impress men. And then the term later came, came known to, to be uh, refer, referring to those who would pretend. Now, hypocrisy... We think about a hypocrisy, spiritually speaking, as someone who lives like the world all week and then they show up on Sunday and everything's praise the Lord and all that type of thing. Okay, now, that is a concern and that is a problem. But that is not the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to here. The kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to here looks very, very real. It looks authentic. It's very difficult, actually, to distinguish here this kind of act from the genuine article. Jesus says here that this is being admired. It's someone who wants to be admired and admonished and slapped on the back and say, wow, you're so deep, brother. You really know this stuff. And then you can walk around with your chest out. Augustine said this, quote, the love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety means curse. It's the deadly curse of true piety. Other vices bring forth evil works, but this brings forth good works in an evil way, end quote. Oh. Jesus says, don't go, and sh- don't go showing off your generosity with the intention that will pe- people will take notice. Again, it's motivation. Don't do it so that people will notice and say, here, here. You know, it, it, this... This whole picture that Jesus draws here of these trumpeters standing in the court, um, can't find anything historical, nothing archaeological that says that this really happened. I I think this is hyperbolic. Jesus is just simply using an an exaggerated illustration, kind of like our phrase, you know, I don't mean to blow my own trumpet here, but hey. It's just a picture. I wouldn't be surprised if someone did do it in the Lord's day, though, right? Second, Jesus uses an example of prayer in verse 5 that we're not to parade our prayers or prayer habits before others in order to be seen or heard. Now, this is not to discount corporate prayer, beloved. Amen? Corporate prayer is beautiful. We have a group that meets here every Wednesday night. If you go sit in that, you hear people praying to God. No one certainly seems to be putting on a show there. They just, they're praying to the Lord, and they're praying for all y'all. And we appreciate that. Corporate prayer is, is, is a blessing. 
But again, this is motivation behind the prayers, you see. What's the motivation between, uh, behind being heard or seen? And then the third example Jesus uses is that of fasting. Um, this is not to be an isolated practice, but to be associated with prayer. There's many things that could be said about fasting, biblical fasting. And we don't have time to look at today, but, you know, uh, fasting was not and should not be isolated from uh, prayer or the prayer of repentance or contrition or intercession on behalf of another or praying for special needs for someone. And he says, when you do fast, don't try to look dreary or disheveled. You know, you walk... What's wrong, brother? No, I'm just fasting. I'm on a spiritual journey. Fasting before the Lord, forsaking, eating for probably 30 days. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus makes it clear, all three accounts, all three examples. If you do it to be seen, if that is your motivation, you will be successful. It's clear, you will be successful. And he says, in each of these cases, you have your reward, and that is the applause of man. To get the slap on the back, hey, man, you really get it. You have your reward. That's your motivation, he says. You will be rewarded with the praise of your friends, impressive response of those that you you have sought to appease or please. Jesus knows his creatures, doesn't he? He knows us inside and out. He says you must watch over your motivations. Beware. Beware. We must look at why and where and and, and how we want to worship. Why do we do what we do? In all of your acts of devotion, why are you doing it? Is it to be seen by men that they might applaud your charity and your benevolence? Is it to be viewed as the scripture-saturated prayer warrior? And reciting scripture is wonderful when we pray, and that's how we should model our prayers. But is it to, is it to be heard so that people go, man, that, wow, I can't pray in front of I can't pray around that person. He just knows too much. Is it to be approved by the supporters of some regulative worship format? I need to be on the in. Jesus said, go for it. You have your reward. It's that. It's their approval. See, Jesus is probing deep, beloved, in this sermon. He's probing those that are already his. He's going deep. Because that's where he works. He works in us to work through us. During World War II, the food stored in the uh, food uh, shortage, rather, um, in France, began to take its toll on the population. Uh, the lack of nutrition caused broken bol- bones to uh, mend improperly. Uh, flesh wounds took months to heal, many times with infection. Teeth would become discolored, would would shift and turn and even fall out. And one of the methods of the Germans when they would capture people was to have people open their mouth so that they could inspect. And if their teeth were not discolored and they looked strong, they knew that they were a spy. They looked deep. In other words, not being able to tell by outward appearance, they probed They looked inside, and in order to see who it really was they were dealing with. So here, too, Jesus is doing just that. He's probing, he's scrutinizing, he's shining light in dark corners. He's exposing us because we're his representatives of the Father through the Son. This is what the Word of God does, beloved. Hebrews 12, listen to this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and to joints and joints and marrow 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That kind of cutting, that is grace-filled cutting. Never see the probing truth or conviction of the scriptures as anything but grace. It is all grace. This is the gracious gift of God in our sanctification. The word that conforms us, transforms us, and, and, and molds us to, in, into Christ himself, the very image of our Savior. Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth that God's redeemed people are called to follow. That's grace. So Jesus continues in verse 3. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he said. Now, some Christians will take this verse and use it as a support uh, to support uh, we shouldn't take a public offering. Now, you don't want to do that. That's taking something out of context. Here's, here's a picture of someone going past the offering plate, walking into the synagogue or the sanctuary, and in the right hand unassumingly drops an offering in the plate while the left hand on the other side is not able to, even able to see what the right hand is doing. In, in other words, <clears throat> the problem is not that other people may see you give. That's not the problem. But here this has to do again with motivation. The Lord Jesus is saying, don't give so self-consciously. Don't give so that your right hand knows what the left is doing so that you can applaud yourself. Right? Again, it's motivation. You know, that's the tendency. It's self-praise. If we don't want praise from others, we'll go after self-praise. So he's going deep. To, congratu to congratulate ourselves. And pretty soon, if we congratulate ourselves long enough, we'll feel eventually that the Lord owes us something. Amen? Because we give as we do, I serve as I ought. Christ owes me something here. No, he's paid it all already. It's a done deal. It is finished. We are living in response to that ever-abounding eternal grace. That's the call. That's the privilege. That's the gift. No self-congratulatory praise. Now, we all know something of this, right? We all know something of this. Pastors know something of this. Preachers know something of this. It's great to be encouraged, but I'll tell you sometimes the danger is to, to you see, we're all like that. Jesus knows us inside and out. We don't need to congratulate ourselves. We don't need to seek the praises of others. Jesus said, you have your reward. See, we, beloved, are the very people of God. We are sinners who've been made blameless. We're upright. We're pure in the sight of God. We're adopted sons, adopted daughters of Almighty God through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Son. We are his people. He died. He was buried. He resurrected. He reigns. He rules. The Holy Spirit descended to the, to the people of God. And by the cross work of Christ, that forensic declaration has been clearly made by God himself that says you've been made clean. You're pure. It's a done deal. You are his. You're owned, right? In other words, you're a redeemed people, a purchased people. From what? The bondage of sin and death, from slavery. And if we're free, we're already made holy. We're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We're not to go back to bondage and slavery to the applause of men or the slap on my own back. May your devotion be a motivation that is to please your father. That's it. In John 12, we see something of this. The scripture says that many of them the authorities believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Remember Jesus healed the blind man, was it John 9? And uh, he was blind from birth. They see the guy walking home. Now he had never seen anything in his life. So his mind didn't even know how to register what was coming in through, his, through the eye gate. So here's this great transformation in his head and his mind and everything that communicates together. 
in being able to take these images and flip them right side up to where you see and you know where you're going. And he's walking home and they recognize, isn't that that, 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 that? So they call the parents in. Is this your son? Well, yes, it's our son and we don't know who did this. Um, but it's scripture says they feared that if they acknowledged Christ, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. They feared man. May we not fear man. Sobering phrase. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What is it that we crave in our Christian's life? In our Christian lives, how often do we crave the favor and praises of men? And trust me, I've searched my own heart on this this week. How can you not? When you prepare a message, don't think you don't get cut. But I love it. Why? Because it's the sanctifying reality of God in my life. Being passed on to all y'all. They sanctified people by the power of the word of God. So you see, the one who constantly seeks applause, at the end of the day, beloved, it reveals that they are not secure in Christ. Rather, they are very insecure. He doesn't understand that he or she really is a son or a daughter of God, that the Heavenly Father really is our Heavenly Father. They may understand it objectively, but not experientially, because they can never get enough of man's applause. So the security he seeks then is not from God, but is actually a, a manipulative kind of security in that he manipulates man in order to applaud him. It's dangerous. That's his religious security. His activities, his devotion are for the sake of men. That's what Jesus calls hypocrisy. So that's not faith, that is works. Romans 14.23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please him. We serve him by faith. We run the race by faith. We live in response to the gospel by faith. Therefore, my devotion to God is by faith. Second point, devotion and secrecy. Devotion and secrecy, verses 3, 6, and 17. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. In secret, in the secret place. He's not saying, beloved, again, that we're not to pray corporately. He's not saying that we shouldn't give publicly. He's not saying that Christians shouldn't fast and go out in public. That's not the point. We don't need to advertise those practices, is the point. He doesn't say, only do it when no one else sees. Again, beloved, it's the motivation of the heart. After all, again, as I said, if people didn't serve, nothing would get done. It's motivation. Jesus knows the temptation. So the question is this. What does he or she do when there's no audience in view? When there's no one to see, what do we do? What is our devotion like when no one else is around? This is the heart examination. This reveals something of one's true worship and devotion. You know, the Pharisees used to practice fasting every Monday and every Thursday. You know what happened on Monday and Thursday? Market day. So everyone would be into town shopping. So they'd go out into town on Monday and Thursday when everyone was shopping. And they'd look all disheveled and put a little dirt on the face and suck in the stomach a little bit. Look all gaunt so that they could say, Yeah, I'm fasting. Fold their hands. No, you've received your reward. So it's not about pleasing others, 
attempting to find favor in order that we feel good. That's idolatry. It's folly. It's false devotion. Notice, thirdly, devotion and satisfaction. Now, the satisfaction, beloved, is this. Satisfaction is satisfaction that we have in an audience of one. An audience of one. Verse 4. You do this so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't want my reward to be accolades of men. I appreciate encouragement. We appreciate thankful hearts to one another. Absolutely. Again, what is the motivation? Now, most of us have this ongoing struggle, and most of us have realized the bondage of this desire. If you haven't, hopefully today is the day of being awakened to this reality, but I think most of us struggle with this on any given day. So how do we, how do we get free from the bondage of seeking the accolades of men? Quite simply, it's to realize that he is all the audience we need that simple. For which he both noticed, he, he commands and commends. He commands this and he commends this. Notice, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. This is the one thing that matters, your father who's in the secret place. This is intimacy with our heavenly father. This is what he wants of us. He wants intimacy. If I'm looking around at all you to, to, to receive appreciation or a slap on the back or to feel welcome or on the in, I've received my reward. This is motivation behind the devotion. The aim now is entirely different, isn't it? It's the Father. He says we should be satisfied with having God as our only witness. You see, a life lived in the presence of God, for the glory of God, becomes an ever-growing desire because there's a deeper satisfaction there. And you want more. So you seek Him more. So, rather than a form of idolatry, may we seek the one true God in our devotion. Amen? Because anything else is empty. It's impotent. You'll go, you, you will rack your brain. You will go crazy. You'll say, nobody loves me. No one shows enough affection for me. No one congratulates me enough. I'll go somewhere else. And you just keep seeking it, and you never find it. It's empty. It's folly audience of one, satisfaction with devotion between me and my Savior. Because we're recipients of grace. Where at the cross, he provided propitiation, satisfaction with the Father, and expiation, forgiveness of our sins as far as the East is from the West. Why enslave myself to something? I, I place myself in bondage. Jesus said, beware when men speak well of you. Amen? Beware. I see false teachers on news programs often. You don't see many true biblical heralds on Larry, well, Larry's not around anymore, but Pierce Bronson or whoever is doing the interviews, whoever's most popular. It's those who preach another gospel. And everyone's applauding. Everyone goes to their churches in the community. They fill it up with 15, 20, 30,000. But you see, a life that's motivated by thanksgiving reveals a life of humility that finds its satisfaction with devotion in an audience of one. You didn't save your friend. You didn't save me. Christ saved me. I'm devoted to him. Because one day, beloved, God will one day show that he was pleased with your devotion. 
because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. He will show that affection, although it was concealed by the eyes of man here while you were a dweller on this earth. It's very temporal. And when will he do this? When will he reward us openly? 1 Corinthians 4, we read from it this morning. He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation. From who? From God. From God. And we experience a reward, beloved, in both time and eternity. Here and now, there's a reward in our character, our happiness, our contentment. It's a thing called joy. I can't give you joy. You can't give me joy. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can give you joy. So here, Paul says, when the dawn of the last day appears, and all that is now hidden in darkness from the eyes of man, it will all be revealed. And ultimately, of course, beloved, our reward, ultimately speaking, is access into his divine presence. That's called glory. You all have that reward coming. And guess what you did to earn it? Nothing. That's the gift of free grace in Christ that cost him everything. You will ultimately receive that reward where in his presence, in glory, we will also reap every other reward that he has determined to give to those that are his. That's what the scripture says. I can't explain it because I know we earn nothing, but I know that it's there. But it's on that day So then our Christian giving and our Christian devotion is neither to be for man's approval, nor is is it to be waiting on the clapping of the right hand to the left. It is is not for the accolades of man. It is for pleasure of God, which creates in us deep contentment. He sees our secret heart. He sees the the secret corners of our heart. And he rewards openly, he says. And you know what Jesus said? Take this home. It is more blessed to give than to what? Than to receive. It's more blessed to give. Teaching, preaching, preparing. Man, it is a joy. But the joy really isn't here. The joy is, is, is in seeing the grandeur and the glory and the power of God in the study or in the preparation. The payoff's there. When I see that he reveals something in my own heart, a conviction, right? And because of grace, sin is exposed. And when sin is exposed, it's the shining light of the living word of God that is exposing it. That's grace. The word of God that cuts, that divides That's grace. And then the ability to want to stop this and start doing this, that's grace. That's the sanctifying reality of the powerful word of God. So that it it causes my devotion to to, to go down instead of out. Amen? Down deep. So may the Lord, beloved, which is according to grace. God doesn't sit here and say, you know, I want her to obey, but, you know, I'm going to hold back my grace for a bit. No, he does not do that. It's there now. May the Lord give us a heart of devotion to give, to serve for the cause of Christ and the glory of his name. Amen? And if you see someone serve, be appreciative of someone who serves. Don't be afraid to thank anybody. Don't be afraid of putting your hand out to put your giving into the plate. Again, it goes back to motivation. That's it. Lord, show me my heart. Is there any wicked way within me? You know what he will do? He'll show you. And he'll show you the path out. That's grace. Child of God. So may we give and may we serve with a devotion that is biblical. And may it start in those secret places. Amen, beloved? Now, if you don't know the Lord this morning, you're like, wow. I thought it was all about doing. No, he's done it all. And he requires perfection. And you've already failed. 
Therefore, you can't be in his presence eternally. That's bad news. And the gospel, which means good news, is that he sent his son to do what you and I could never do. And it was to perfectly uphold the law. But that wasn't enough because there had to be a sacrifice and the sacrifice had to be perfectly holy. And that was Jesus, the son of God, the God man who laid his life down, bore the wrath of the father. Therefore, all of God's rage was satisfied. That is how your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. If you don't know this God through his son, the only savior, call out to him for mercy. You can see me at the door. I can point you to one of our leaders in the church, but you need him. You need his unmerited favor in order to be saved and to establish this relationship so that you can begin to learn something of devotion in response to all that he's provided. Amen. Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel. We thank you for the commands of scripture. We thank you for the power and the grace and the ability to do what you call us to do. Thank you for the living word. Thank you for the portions of scripture that remind us that it's all been done. That you bore the wrath, the shame, the humility that you died and rose again. That you ascended and then the spirit descended. That we do not have to do this in our own power. God in us enables us to do what you command to do. Lord, may our devotion be deep. May it be personal. May we be satisfied with an audience of one that we might most effectively glorify your name, that we most effectively might minister to one another, that we would not be afraid to thank one another or encourage one another or to give as we ought, to serve as we should but it would be the outpouring where the springs of life take place, and that is in the depths of the soul of the redeemed, where our devotion is in response to your grace for the glory of your name. We pray in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.